I didn't get a chance to introduce myself before. Um, I'm Scott, and I'm one of the pastors here at Artisan, and we're glad you're with us today. Uh, before we jump into the Word, I do want to mention that it is Mother's Day, if you didn't know that already. So I personally want to say very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. Anybody here who is a celebrating Mother's Day for the first time this year? That's kind of a cool feeling. I remember when my wife did that. Yay, all right. I love moms because I love my mom. And uh, I think I, last year I, I started to tell this story about my mom and I, I got completely broken down in the middle of it. I could barely finish it. But um, then I told it later in the evening service and I was cool as a cucumber. So <laughs> anyway, the story that I love to tell about my mom is um, I was riding in the car in the back seat and I sat behind my mom and my sister sat behind my dad and it was this little tiny thing, like a Volkswagen Rabbit, I think. And uh, I had been being kind of an idiot, and my dad had been repeatedly telling me to stop being an idiot in the way that dads do. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, dads, I'm one. Sometimes we're kind of, we're kind of jerks <laughs> about stuff to our kids. And um, I can say that now, and I, I don't want to give the impression I don't love my dad, because I, I deeply do. But that day I was being an idiot, and he was being a little bit of a jerk, so... Um, and I have since been on the jerk side of the equation, so I feel very free to say this. But anyway, I was, I was, I'm a kind of a sensitive guy, as you know, and I, I, uh, I was sort of whimpering and crying back there behind my mom, and, and she just reached her hand back there and put it on my knee, you know, and that was, uh, made it all better for me. So anyway, almost made it. Happy Mother's Day. The people tonight will think I'm just some unfeeling jerk because I'll tell that story with no problem at all. <laughs> I should practice midway through the year this time. Anyway, um, give you a quick uh, catch up on where we're at in the book of Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua 5 today. And if you remember, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and then they had been miraculously freed, and Moses led the people out of Egypt, and they wandered around the wilderness and complained and wandered and complained and wandered and complained, and 40 years later, they came to the brink of the promised land, and uh, the people, the complainers had all died, and, and then Moses died, and so God said, it's time to bring you into the promised land, and uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the crossing of the Jordan, where they carried the Ark of the Covenant in, and as soon as the priests touched the water, it just went whoosh, and uh, it was dry ground. They walked right through. Um, and then last week, while the staff and leadership team were away on retreat, um, you celebrated the next thing that happened there, which is kind of memories and milestones. And they send up, set up these 12 stones, um, which later became the name of a lousy Creed knockoff band, uh, 12 Stones. But the only reason I know that is because I worked in a Christian bookstore for a couple of years. That's worse than Las Vegas, trust me. You don't want to go in there. Uh, <laughs> um, so this, um, this particular story uh, talks about the next step that they took before they went into the promised land, and it's Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. I, I don't have it on the screen, so I'd like you to follow along in a Bible. If you brought one of your own, you can go ahead and find Joshua 5. If you didn't bring one of your own, there's one just like the one I'm holding underneath your chair, and you can go to page 171 for Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 
nine verses here, and then we're going to stop and talk because it's going to get a little, going to get a little messy. Okay, Joshua 5. When all the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeath Haarloth, uh, the English uh, translation of which is the hill of the foreskins. But you didn't want to know that. Verse 4. <laughs> this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the warriors, had died during the journey through the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt. Although all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people born on the journey through the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the Israelites traveled 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the warriors who came out of Egypt, perished, not having listened to the voice of the Lord. To them, the Lord swore that he would not let them see the land that he had sworn to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of all the nation was done, they remained in their places in, in the camp until they were healed. Let's take a good long rest, guys. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal is just a, a Hebrew word that means to roll. So, I want to stop for a minute and, and let's deal with this circumcision idea because I'm not quite sure we necessarily are all on the same page with this. And it's kind of important to, uh, to what I want to say this morning. Circumcision was just the, the sign of the covenant that God had made with his people. Uh, it was, and uh, for Jewish people still is, a, a visible, outward, um, unmistakable sign that they, this people is in relationship with Yahweh, with God. And uh, so I want to tell you a little bit about the story about how this, this kind of, really, if you think about it, bizarre ritual um, began. Um, it was, it was a, a sign that God gave to Abram, who was being renamed Abraham at that time, uh, of this promise that he had made to him. And do you remember what the promise to Abram had been? In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham and said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, and in, in you all peoples will be blessed. And your, your descendants will be like the stars, he says in another spot. You won't even be able to count them. And so that's Genesis 12, and then Genesis 17 is where the circumcision thing comes into play. So we have to ask ourselves, what happened in this five chapters in between? <laughs> That would go from a nice promise to a painful ritual for an old man. Well, what happened was that Abraham messed this up any way he could think of. <laughs> uh, he disobeyed and tried to take it into his own hands. And uh, so my interpretation of what happened with this, this particular ritual is kind of interesting. I, I 
I hope you'll come with me here. But the mess that happens between 12 and 17, let's think this through for just a minute. If, if God were to come to Matt and say, Matt, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. All your descendants will be like the stars, and, and in, in your people, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. What might be the first step you would take in, in trying to help God fulfill that promise? I'm putting you on the spot, asking you to talk about something in church that nobody wants to talk about in church. <laughs> How else would Abram become the father of a great nation but to get someone pregnant? Honey, it's time to do the Lord's work. <laughs> but his wife was barren. And so he took matters into his own hands. And his wife was complicit in this as well. And said, here's my slave girl. You should get her pregnant because it's obviously not going to... God made this promise to you and he apparently didn't have me in mind because I'm not going to have any children. But that's not what God had in mind. <laughs> And so, for me, I look at this story and I think, Abram is acting with his body. Acting out of what he perceives to be his strength in the situation that he's in. His ability to fulfill the promise that God has made to him. Which is kind of a weird thing for a person to want to do, to fulfill a promise that God made to him. But he uses the one thing that he thinks he can use to make this happen. And God says, no, that's not what I meant. Here, let me have that for a second. <laughs> and by the way, if you're offended by circumcision double entendre, I would advise you not only to leave the room right now, but never to read the book of Galatians because uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's full of it. But for a man in that culture to have that done to him, demoralizing, demeaning, embarrassing, emasculating. And yet God has taken the one thing that Abram has that he considers his strength in this situation, his ability to control what God is going to do through him. And he says, let me have that for a second. God, God broke the one area of strength that he had. Quite literally broke it. And so circumcision became a very important sign of the covenant. And all the males in Abram's household were to be circumcised. And all his sons and descendants for all eternity were to be circumcised as a sign of the fact that this is a covenant. This is a promise that God made to do through the people. And it doesn't have anything to do with your own strength. It doesn't have anything to do with your own righteousness doesn't have anything to do with how worthy you are or able you are to fulfill this promise. I'm going to do it. And you're going to be amazed by it. And so here's the sign. Do not take matters into your own hands. The unfortunate thing is that that sign, as is the case with just about anything like this, quickly became not necessarily a sign of the work that God was going to do in his people beyond their power and ability to do it themselves, but it became instead a sign of chosenness. 
of holiness, which you know just means being set apart for sacred use, being separated and made special. It became a sign of specialness. And the very next thing it became was a sign that they were better than somebody else. And then the sign wasn't quite so much circumcision anymore, but uncircumcision. Those people don't have this sign. They got their own sign, which, by the way, was the way they were made in the first place. But forget that. We've got the sign that says we're God's people. So whatever they've got left over there must be a sign that they're not God's people. And this is not unique to the Israelites, the Jewish people. We, you know, we, we all kind of do this thing. In fact, what I'd like to do, and I always make fun of Jason for, for using the big board here, but I actually do want to do this, and I forgot a marker. Can somebody bring me a marker, please? Thanks, Jason. You, you don't have one in your pocket there? We did. When we practiced that, he hit me almost every time. But I ducked just right this time, so it worked out. Yes, just one would do. Thank you. I don't need more. Mul- well, I don't know if they work. Okay. Black <laughs> uh, so here's what I'd like to do. Um, we, I think all of us probably are Gentiles, so the, let's, let's leave, happily leave behind the question of circumcision for a few minutes. Um, but I want to write down circumcision in uh, quotation marks here. Because what I'd like to ask us to talk about for a few minutes is um, some things that we have kind of put in the place of circumcision in our culture. We're Christians, many of us. Um, if you're not, I don't want to assume anything about you. We're glad you're here. And you may have some, some special insight into this question. But what are some things that Christians have about them or do or say or act that, that kind of become a sign of us and them? You know, these are our special signs that we're God's people. The people over here don't have them. Just shout some out for me. Communion. Interesting. Communion. But I thought communion was a, a wonderful act of remembrance of the sacrifice Jesus made and a, a source of spiritual food and a, a ritual that helps us remember that we're all in community with, with each other around the world, right? Well, circumcision was supposed to be a, something else too. What else? Religious jewelry. Religious jewelry. <laughs> Somebody had a Michael W. Smith album when he was growing up. I-O-U-S? Man, I was a good speller one day. Religious jewelry. Excellent. So if you're wearing that cross of gold, or uh, nowadays it's usually wood or hemp or something, um, (laughs) you are saying to people, I'm in the club, and if, you know, you may or may not be, but let's leave no questions about me. Yeah. Or sometimes it's not a cross, but it's the... the, um, the fish, right? WWJD. Yeah, I remember those. The rainbow ones? Yes. Well, let's, let's stop talking about religious jewelry. <laughs> Can we talk about circumcision again? What else? Huh? Kayla. 
What's the what's the frequency there? I don't know. 1049 did I did you say? That could be the death metal station and I wouldn't know but uh, Yeah. It's it's definitely crept into our our music. Yep. Going to church. Very quickly, I'm going to need a shorter person to help right here, but there's a lot more than four bumper stickers. Oh, awesome. I had a bumper sticker in high school. It said National Atheists Day, April 1st, <laughs> with a uh, reference to the thing of Psalm 14 that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. I didn't get many dates in high school. <laughs> t-shirts. t-shirts. They'll know us by the t-shirts that we wear. It's a Derek Webb song, I think. Tattoos. Tattoos. <laughs> I'm going to go with tats. <laughs> Tats, that's rich. What else? (laughs) (laughs) Really, you can delete this stuff, guys. You don't need to have all of these or any of these. Just a little tip. (laughs) Yes, Abel. Friends. Very good from my four-year-old brilliant son. Friends. That's, gosh, I never even came up with that one when I was brainstorming ideas. Can you help me with my next sermon? (laughs) Friends. What do our friends say about who we are religiously? who were not religiously. Now, this could go both ways, I think. You could have just the right friends prove how right you are, or you could have just the wrong friends prove how right you are. See, it's tricky. You can't, you can't necessarily just say, well, you know, I'm not like one of those Christians who only hangs out with religious people. I'm one of those Christians who's dares and deigns to hang out with irreligious, nasty people who smoke. (laughs) Interesting. Anything else? Christianese. Yes. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say Christianese because that's an excellent way to say it. It's just hard to write sideways and upside down. That's all. I was going to try to cop out, but... Yeah. What are some examples of Christianese, Beck or anybody else? Getting saved. Is that what you said? Yeah. Have you been saved? Are you born again? What's that? Have you surrendered? Oh. The Lord laid something on my heart. He told me that you are supposed to marry me. 
Anybody heard one of those stories before? Oh, those are creepy. <laughs> and then again, philosophy prophet Roberts used to love to tell this story about how this young couple started dating their freshman year and believed God told them they were to get married, and they did, and they stayed married for 30 years. And Well, I mean, at that point it had been 30 years. It's probably been longer now. So it's, you can't necessarily just take the easy way out. Okay, so this is a pretty good list. And, the, and you know and I know there's a lot more things that could be on this list. Now, let's do the fun one. Uncircumcision. Okay. What are the foreskins out there? <laughs> <laughs> if I say foreskin one more time, the sermon gets bumped to PG-13. So, <laughs> Oops. Um, no, remember, you've got the sign that you are in the club, which then means there is a sign that someone's not in the club, right? And, and I know none of you would ever cast aspersions on anybody who is not a believer, but what are some ways, easy ways to spot them? <clears throat> Yes, tat- oh no. <laughs> They're the the bad tats. <laughs> what did you say? Oh yes, the Darwin fish. But you know how you combat the Darwin fish with a uh, true fish that that's bigger than the Darwin fish and it eats it. <laughs> Any, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the tats line, okay? Is that all right? <laughs> Alcohol. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with boys who do, right? Or girls. Alcohol. Smokes. As long as it's a cigar, it's okay. Swearing. Oh, okay. Let's see. Generic spirituality. Anything else? Democrats. Democrats. The Democrats with their swearing and their drinking. <laughs> okay. Luck, did you say? Luck, will, pride. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're actually going to get back to that, ideally, which is, but we're not going to attack it on these people. So. Sex. I'm going to spell it out so that the kids don't hear it. <laughs> uh, <coughs> we got room for one more on the page, and then we got to have, stop having fun with these. R-rated movies. <sighs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah, all that. You know, I was um, uh, for amusement purposes once, and this is not very Christ-like of me, but I was looking at the uh, the rules on the Bob Jones University website, and th- there are two rules like right next to each other. One was uh, you you cannot watch any PG movies uh, or higher. You can only watch G-rated movies. Not only just in your dorm, but anywhere. You have to pledge to only watch G movies if you go to Bob Jones University. The other important rule to remember if you're there is that your pistol must have a trigger lock on it at all times. <laughs> and they're like right next to each other. So. <laughs> uh, see, it's just easy to point the fingers. Um, okay, so we've got, we've got these two lists here. And I'll stick this behind me and we'll, we'll kind of get going. You know, one thing we didn't mention... In the, on the first list, we mentioned communion, but not baptism, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because baptism, we've, we've often talked about baptism as being the new sign, the sign of the new covenant with Jesus. Um, and uh, as Christians, we, we uh, sometimes, here in this place, we, we, we baptize adults who are believers, but we'll also baptize an infant if the parents prefer. And that's kind of a sign of the covenant that, um, that family is in with God, New Testament covenant. But anyway, uh, the New Testament, speaking of which, does mention circumcision in a few places. A few months back, you may remember we talked about the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, when uh, all these Gentiles were converting to Christianity and the Jewish Christians had to figure out what do we do with them? What do we require of them? How much do we have to make them become Jews before we let them become Christians? And, And they settled on not requiring them to be circumcised much to the relief of every Gentile Christian male. The other place that, that uh, one other place in the New Testament it's mentioned is, is the book of Romans, chapter 2. And if you'd like to flip ahead there, you can. Um, I'm only going to read a couple of verses, though, so if you don't want to, that's fine also. Your red Bibles would take you to uh, page 915. I'm going to look at verse 28 and 29. This is what Paul says about being, being a real Jew and being circumcised and being a Christian. For a Jew is, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. Rather, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart. It is spiritual and not literal. That's about the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? Real circumcision is not physical. It's not external. That's, that's like that's a square circle. That doesn't even make any sense. But he's saying the true people of God have had that change in their hearts, not just on their bodies. Because remember, it's not just a physical sign of the fact that you are in a special club. It's a sign of the fact that God is going to do amazing work in and through you beyond what you could do by your own power and your own strength. And today, we, um, we as a church, I think, are kind of standing, reflecting on the great things that God has done among us. Maybe we haven't you know, crossed a rushing river at harvest time. And maybe there's not kings surrounding us, you know, melting with fear because of the great work that God has done. But, I mean, let's take a minute and talk about some of the cool things that we've done. We, over the last year and a half or so, we've doubled in size. We've got all kinds of new people uh, involved in our community, new people coming to faith in Jesus and finding their experience of God in, in, 
in the love of Christ. We've done some great things as a community. End of last year, we, we gave so much money here that we provided two rainwater collection tanks in Uganda. Um, we have this awesome public market that happens in here once a month all through the winter, and hundreds of people, non-churchgoers, have come through this place this past winter. All because we're so awesome. <laughs> and we might be standing like those Israelites having just come through the river saying, hey, it's pretty cool what God is doing here. I mean, well, I mean let's be honest, we're, we're doing it. God is here, but we're doing this, right? Our hearts are so big. I think we have to ask ourselves, just for a second, how much of this awesome stuff that has happened here in our community is just a big bragging point for us? I know for us as pastors, it's like, wow, this is so cool to be a part of this. Maybe for you, who have been part of Artisan a long time, you're seeing it grow and you're thinking, man, I am riding a wave of the coolest church in town here. A father's house? <laughs> to paraphrase an expression. Maybe you're thinking, well, I go, to a, I go to a great church and the people who go to my school go to the boring churches. They're not reaching anybody. My church is good. Whatever it might be. You're doing great work as a church by the power of your heart. And God says to you, here, let me see that heart. Your heart is about as clean as the blood pumping through it. It's about as useless as could be. Your heart is full of crap. <laughs> and you can do your best out of the power of your own heart and goodness to change the world, and you're going to accomplish nothing. You're going to have a a little orphan slave girl's child running around. <laughs> Real circumcision is a matter of the heart. And John Wesley had a great sermon that's called The Circumcision of the Heart. <laughs> See, God will change your heart if you come into a relationship with Jesus and start following Him. He'll change your heart and it will be better. But if that suddenly becomes a new sign for you of how good you are on your own merit or how important your tribe is compared to the ones over there, if it's just a sign of your own self-aggrandized superiority, then you are in some trouble. <laughs> Let me tell you the consequence of that. Look back at Joshua 5, verse 7. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. If you are caught up in this us-them mentality, and if that's where you begin to find your identity lately, being part of the good crew instead of part of the bad crew, I think you are about to be replaced. Maybe not by your literal children, but certainly by the people coming behind you. You think the Church of America is the hope of the world? Church of America is a joke. 
Look at the church in Africa or China, where it's basically illegal to be a Christian. And look at the work they're doing. And if that doesn't humble us, then, then I don't know what would. I think that we are about to be replaced. And they may not be circumcised or whatever it is. They don't have, the, they don't have, they don't have any cars to put those little ichthus fish on, most of them. But they don't have the jewelry. They don't listen to the music. They don't know the words. They have none of that. And maybe God's just waiting around for us to die so that he can say to them, okay, let's circumcise you and get you in the place, bring you into the promised land, and you can, you can be the recipient of this promise. And you can be the one working out and be the body of Christ in the world. I want to look at one more little bit of this chapter. I'm going to skip ahead to, to, chapter, uh, to verse 13. Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you one of us or one of our adversaries? Have you ever... Let's stop right there. Don't, don't, don't read on. Have you ever been in a situation where you asked a question and immediately realized it was the wrong question to ask? When's that baby do? What baby? <laughs> you asked the wrong question. <laughs> we were at the zoo uh, with my parents in South Carolina a couple months ago. This beautiful little toddler girl climbing on the rocks, and we said, oh, she's so cute. How old is she? He is three. <laughs> you asked the wrong question. <laughs> oh, it's great your mom came to church last week. How did she like the service? That was my girlfriend. <laughs> Asked the wrong question. Joshua has just asked the wrong question. <laughs> Are you one of us or one of our adversaries? He replied, neither. <laughs> but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And what does Joshua do? Oh. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to him, what do you command your servant, my Lord? Stop there again. What do you think he was waiting for? What kind of answer do you think the, he expected from this angel or whoever it was, the commander of the army of the Lord? He's got a big sword. He's just said, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And right over there are Joshua's enemies. What is this person going to say to him when he asks, what is your command? He's going to give him military strategy, right? Well, you want to take two-thirds of your soldiers and, and partition them off here. And then you take the one-third around. And, no. What does the angel say to him? The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. See, Joshua is so caught up in that us-them mentality. Are you one of us or are you one of our adversaries? That's all he wants to know when he meets this new person with a sword. Which team are you on? It's the wrong question, Joshua. And if we want to divide everyone into two groups, the good and the bad, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, the religious insiders and the outcasts, the conquerors, conquerors and the people about to be conquered, it's the wrong question. 
Because Jesus is not our mascot. He's not the guy that's carrying the banner into the battlefield for the battle we want to fight. Instead, we're going to take off our shoes and realize that in His presence, we're on holy ground. And that He's the one on the throne going to sort out the sheep and the goats and all that fun stuff later. It's not for us to decide. What we need to worry about is us and Him. Real holiness, just like real circumcision, is a matter of the heart. And so let's not get caught up in the things that we do. Instead, let's pause and worship Him. And so I'm going to ask you, while we're taking communion, to do something that might be slightly uncomfortable for you, and I'm sorry if that's the case, but one of the things that we are really cool about, in the summertime especially, is we are the Barefoot Church, right? We've got pastors who preach barefoot, band leaders who lead worship barefoot, people who come in through the door in sandals and shorts. Let's not let that be a sign of our own hipness, how cool we are compared to those other places. What I want to ask you to do, if you are going to take communion, and we're fairly open here about who can take communion, we, we think that if you are following Jesus, it's entirely appropriate for you to do that. You don't have to have everything figured out. In fact, that is the whole point. You're not going to figure it all out. But if you're going to take communion, what I'd like to ask you to do is just take off your shoes when you go up to that table. You can put them right back on as soon as you get back to your seat. Sometimes this, like I think it was Bethany said, is another sign of us and them. And if that's your question, you're asking the wrong one. So I would like you to take off your shoes if you're going to take communion. If you're not, you can just leave them on. That's fine. Nobody's going to look funny at you. You're actually going to be the one who doesn't look funny. That's okay. Before you go up to the table, take them off because where you're standing is holy ground. And the person you're about to meet in those elements, the body and blood, is of Jesus. And in His presence, those questions kind of melt away. Let's pray. Our God, forgive us for the many, many ways that we separate ourselves from everybody else because we think we're special. We surrender our hearts to You, knowing that the power of them and the goodness of them all on its own is not enough. And then if we take pride in that and start asking somebody, are you like me or like them? It's the wrong question. We want to pause now and worship Jesus as we take communion together. Jesus, please make Yourself known to us and strengthen us as we take that bread and dip it in the wine or juice remembering your sacrifice, receiving spiritual food, nourishment for our souls, and being united with all the Christians around the world. Make it real for us. And we take off our shoes as a sign of respect and worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this table's open for the rest of our time together. We're going to sing some more songs and continue worshiping that way. Uh, come when you're ready. And you can put your shoes right back on when you get back to your chair. Um, but celebrate communion together as we worship.